The podcast critics have spoken. Has this guy ever actually interviewed anyone before? And? Wow, that was long. And? I don't have time to listen. Very busy. Sounds like this podcast isn't winning any awards anytime soon. Uh, he did win an award in 2011. Stop living in the past. What else with Corey Mann? Wherever podcasts are sold. Isn't it free? Part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. The Sports Yak Podcast is powered by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events are available at und.com slash buy tickets. Also by Pyramid Equipment. Be prepared this winter season by checking the condition of your snow removal equipment. Pyramid Equipment is a locally owned business in Rolling Prairie, Indiana that sells, services, and installs residential and commercial grade snow plows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid Equipment is your trusted dealer of Meyer and Snow Dog products. Old man winners ready. Are you? Service discount for military, fire, and police available. Call 800-833-2591 or find them on the web at PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Coming up on Friday, a very special bonus episode of Sports Yak. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. The voice behind the national anthem at all Chicago Blackhawk games. And mostly all Chicago sports as well. Who's brought stripes and bright stars through the perilous fire. We go head-to-head with Jim Cornelison. That our flag was still there. This Friday on a very special bonus episode of Sports Yak. And now, here we go, maniacs. From South Bend, Indiana, you know where that's at. I don't. It's Sports Yak with Corey Mann and Chuck Freeby. I'm the booth announcer, Jim Shorts. That's good. Episode 142 on a Monday as we start to wind down September. This will be known henceforth as the Joe Coleman episode. Simply put, Joe Cole. Is there a more simple name that you could have for a former Major League player? He won 20 games for the Tigers in 1971, then wound up pitching for the Cubs and going 2-8 in 1976. Joe Coleman won 142 games in his Major League Baseball career, and thus he is honored in episode 142 of the Yak. Well, hopefully we can up it a notch on the level of excitement other than the name uh, well, of Joe Well, exactly. Coleman. I mean, we've set the bar nice and low with Joe Coleman today. So I'd we- like to uh, start with the Notre Dame game. I have three observations, and then... Uh, Go for it. And then you air it out. Well, no, 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 no. You're <laughs> you're fine. Start, start away. I thought... Um, I've truly thought the crowd played a huge role in this game 
more than I've ever seen any other game. You would not be alone in thinking that. That is almost word for word what Kirby Smart, the Georgia head coach, said after the game. A lot of people, 92, 93,000. 93,000, largest crowd they've ever had at Sanford Stadium. It felt as if the entire stadium was the student section like we're used to at Notre Dame when the kids all stand up through the whole game. That was observation number one. Observation number two, I thought the coaching of Notre Dame was good. It was just the playing of the actual play that didn't do so well. Now, what makes you say that? It seems like they had done their homework and knew what they were going to deal with with Georgia, Mm -hmm. with the offense and defense, and so the play calling that was supposed to happen might have worked had it not gone awry with certain players and just fumbles and interceptions gotcha. and you know all that type of stuff. Okay. The third thing that I I saw noticed Saturday night Sunday morning, I've never seen the local media be more pro Notre Dame after a loss like that than I have this weekend. Where I thought the local media was actually being kind in a way and uh on the defense of some people that would push back with their comments. And uh, they would defend them, some of the local guys, which I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen before. Give me, give me some examples. Um, uh, Tim Priester, of all people. There was a couple of people that pushed back on some of his, in my opinion, positive comments, and he kind of put them in their place. I don't remember which ones, but I just remember reading and going, hmm, okay. Well, Tim's not one to suffer fools gladly, number one. Yeah. Um, which I respect about him because I feel the same about myself. Uh, number two, look, you played on the road at night in a hugely hostile environment against the number three ranked team in the country, a team that most of, well, the Vegas odds said you were worse than two touchdowns, less than nobody on the national scene Nobody on ESPN, nobody on Fox gave Notre Dame any kind of chance of winning that game. Mm -hmm. And yet the game came down to the final minute. And you had Georgia reeling in the fourth quarter and a chance to win the game on the final drive of the game. You can't ask for much more than that other than to win the game. So... All that taken into account for, you know, I think for a lot of people, you would have to say Notre Dame surpassed expectations on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Now, surpassing those expectations still doesn't take away from the fact that it's a loss. And that's why I threw out the question on Twitter yesterday. Are, Are you positive about Notre Dame coming off the loss, or do you go with the argument there are no moral victories? And I, I believe that positive opinion won the day. Um, here, here's the thing. This is what I get tired of from Notre Dame. It seems like they want to talk out of both sides of the mouth. Every year, we're given the same line. Our goal here is to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Well, for 10 consecutive years now, this team will have fallen short. And actually, for more than 10, for 31 consecutive years, this team will have fallen short of the goal. So 
if you're going to express that goal, then you need to do the things within the program to make that happen. And it is clear that this program does not have enough speed and it does not have enough playmakers on offense to survive any kind of injury. You know, I'm hearing a lot of people say, well, if we had Jafar Armstrong for the game, well, players get hurt. Yep. So you better have more than one Jafar Armstrong around. You better have have more than one speed demon, more than one playmaker around because players get hurt. Georgia suffered an injury to its starting quarterback. Didn't seem to hurt them in pass defense. There was a veteran Notre Dame player that made a few back-to-back mistakes, and I thought, why are you not yanking that guy out of the team? And I thought, maybe there's no one underneath him that they can put in that'll fill his place. And that's therein lies the problem. Yeah, Depth, it is improved in some spots, but depth remains a problem on this football team. And you take a look at Georgia's depth. Final play of the game. Georgia applies pressure to Ian Book and flushes him from the pocket with two guys that weren't even starters in the game. One was the number one recruited freshman from last year, and one was the number one recruited Juco transfer from last year. So that's the kind of depth that the Bulldogs have and that the Irish don't. So to me, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to say our goal is to compete for national championships, well, you continue to fail at that goal. Now, if you want to alter the goal, that's fine. And what would you say to alter the goal? A a winning season? Oh, it's got to be more than a winning season. We want to be a New Year's Six team. We want to be a college playoff team. Okay. You know, those, those are reasonable expectations, I think, for Notre Dame. To say that you want to be a national championship team, I mean, you watch you you watch enough football. Do you think Notre Dame is on a par with Clemson or Alabama? No. So nope. I mean, right there, that tells you. Well, unless those teams are defecting from the United States of America, you're not going to be a national championship team. Let me segue into this real quick. Is it harder for you on a Monday morning to be a blank fan or a blank fan, Cubs or Notre Dame? Oh, my gosh. Let's not quite make this segue yet. I know. I'm just curious. I wanted to hear what your reaction would be. I think it's easier to be a Notre Dame fan on this Monday, September 23rd, than it is to be a Chicago Cubs fan. Okay. Yeah. because Number one, as a Notre Dame fan, you still have three-quarters of the season left. And, and a bowl game. And after watching this team play on Saturday night and looking at the rest of the schedule, I don't think 11-1 is not unreasonable to think. Now, I think somewhere along the line they might stumble. You don't know. We don't know what injuries will unfold the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 10-2, and 11-1 and is is a realistic expectation for this Notre Dame team this year. I heard the phrase Orange Bowl tossed around on social media. Well, because that that's likely the game. If they go 11-1 and one and they wind up eligible for a New Year's 6 bowl game, I, I think that's the one left their way okay. this year. So, yeah, that that's perfectly reasonable to expect that. Okay. I Now, let me, let me still dwell on this game a little bit. 
I think the crowd played an absolutely huge role, especially in those six false start penalties that Notre Dame had. And remember, not only on on plays where they had penalties called, but on plays where they had to call timeouts because now you come down to the final drive of the game, you have two minutes left, but you have no timeouts remaining. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you didn't have to take those timeouts because players couldn't hear or you could get the play in in time, then you have timeouts remaining, and that changes entirely the kinds of plays that you can call in that final drive. So that's a huge factor in the game. I thought defensively, even though Notre Dame in the second half missed a lot of tackles and Georgia started to get its rhythm in the second half, I thought the defense did a very good job staving off two turnovers. And I thought overall they did a very good job against Georgia's running game, better than I expected them to do. Jake Fromm is a better quarterback than Ian Book. I have no problem saying that. And because of that, Georgia is a better football team right now than Notre Dame is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's because Jake Fromm has better receivers. I think that Georgia's receivers kind of even with Notre Dame. I thought Komet played an exceptional game. I thought Claypool played a a very good game. He, He had a couple of drops, but Georgia's defensive backs hit hard. I thought that was another difference in the game. Georgia's defensive backs were more aggressive and assertive in defending the Notre Dame passing game than the Irish defensive backs were against the Georgia receivers. I felt like part of their walking orders were go get that ball. I mean, the stripping of the well, ball. Go get the ball and and go hit the man hard and yeah. not worry if you're going to get a targeting penalty or something like that, which there wasn't one called the entire night. Um. There was a time where, and I, and I wish I could remember who the player was for Notre Dame, but a Georgia receiver was exposed, and, and you're expecting the Notre Dame guy to blow him up, and he just kind of comes over and wraps him up, and it's like, no, we don't need a warm, cuddly embrace right now. We need somebody to lay the wood to somebody. Yeah, uh, I just, I thought those those were little differences, but I thought, those were telling differences in the game. Um, I thought the game plan that Chip Long put out overall, and who am I to, to analyze his game plan, but I thought overall it was pretty good. Chris Fink had a really bad night. I think he's the player that you were you were referring to that you know you would say, well, take him out. Uh, I'm thinking number 74. Oh, 74, Hainsey. Well, that, yeah, offensive line, they don't have any kind of depth yeah. whatsoever. And and they knew that going into the year. Because if they had depth, they wouldn't have to settle for 46 rushing yards. Mm. I mean, that's that's the biggest problem in this offense right now, Corey. And, and the biggest area of weakness is their inability to run the football. And there were times on Saturday night where it seemed like Notre Dame had huge holes. I can remember a play, I want to say it's in the third quarter, Tony Jones looks like he has a huge gaping hole to run through. And Tony Jones is just not that back. And by the time he gets to the hole, here comes Georgia with that speed on defense. And what looks like it could have been a 10 or 20 yard gain is a three yard gain. Mm. So the things missing from Notre Dame right now that, that are the difference between them and the elite teams 
speed and depth. That said, you played very well against the number three team on the road and didn't hurt your cause all that much. Is Notre Dame still in contention for the college football playoff? Yes, nominally, and it's a long season and a lot of things can happen. They'll obviously need some help down the stretch. Uh, and they also they also need Georgia to continue to play well. They can't afford Georgia to wind up with a loss or two, or that's going to kill them. This is Don Fisher, voice of Indiana football. Catch every Hoosier football game on 103.1 Pulse FM. Now back to Sports Jack. What happened to Michigan? Oof. Funny that you should mention that. So I think... Saturday was the nadir for the Jim Harbaugh regime in Ann Arbor. They go to Wisconsin, and at one point they're down, what, 35 nothing, mm-hmm. And they wind up losing 35-14. to 14. And so there's, there's a lot of questions asked about exactly what you just brought up. What happened to Michigan, and why is this going on in Ann Arbor? I I think there's a lot of things that you can look at. But Stuart Mandel is the national writer for football for The Athletic. And he put out a story today with five theories of what's going on at Michigan. Number one, um, remember, Michigan was number two in the country in total defense in 2016. They were number six in 2017. And last year, they go into the Ohio State game ranked number one in total defense, which now seems like an eon ago because the Wolverines last year against Ohio State get decimated by Urban Meyer's offense. Mm -hmm. They get decimated in the bowl game by Florida. And Wisconsin has Jonathan Taylor run for 203 yards and Jack Cohen, the quarterback, just did whatever he wanted. So that Michigan defense that was really what they hung their hat on has just been shredded. The other thing is Harbaugh and the offensive coordinator are clearly not on the same page. He brought in the offensive coordinator from Alabama, and he said, okay, we're going to run this spread. Even though Jim Harbaugh, deep down, is an old-fashioned Bo Schembechler smash-mouth football guy. Well, if you're going to go to spread you got to go spread, and they're not doing that right now. So Harbaugh and the offensive coordinator need to get on the same page. And, Jimmy, you either got to pull your head out of your khakis and realize that this is 2019 and you're not using a fullback anymore and make the full commitment to the spread or go back to what you believe in and send this guy packing mm-hmm. because it's not working what they're trying to do. Number three, he's had a lot of staff turnover. The only guy that is still on the original Jim Harbaugh staff in Ann Arbor is his son. Wow. Everybody else. Have they've left on their own, or has he gotten rid of them? Or one way or another. One way or another. Yeah. This is their fifth different offensive coordinator. What does his son do? Um, I don't know. He's got a he's got some sort of title there, but so Greg Madison. Greg Madison was former Notre Dame assistant under Lou Holtz. I remember him. Longtime Michigan guy. 
goes up to Michigan. He's coaching in Ann Arbor. Here's the story that I heard offhand. So last year they're at the bowl game. And on a bowl trip, the coaches' wives make the trip. That's not unusual. Their families and their wives make the trip. A bowl game is seen as somewhat of a reward for a good season. Yes. So they're sitting around talking um, as they're having the breakfast, the assistant coaches are, about what the families are going to be doing that day, which isn't all that unusual. Harbaugh comes down and just starts turning the air blue with his words and says, we're not here for your wives to just go out and have fun and we're here to win a football game and, and just lights them all up. And I guess Greg Madison felt like that's the last straw. And Greg Madison is now at Ohio State. So you talk about a slap in the face. You have you've basically say, yeah, I've been a Michigan man all these years, and you've driven me so far over the edge that I'm going to go to your rival <laughs> and help beat you into the ground. Mm. And this is what Jim Harbaugh does. His message wears thin. He wears people out with this maniacal energy of his. It, it happened at Stanford. It happened with the 49ers. And it has now happened at the University of Michigan. And I would be very surprised if they're going to continue to put up with this in Ann Arbor. Because they're paying $7.5 million a year to this guy. Didn't they just give him an extension? And he's not delivering. Hmm. Hey, Purdue fans, it's football time. Root, root, root for Purdue. Purdue, do, do. A Purdue, do, Purdue, do, do. This is Tim Newton, voice of Purdue football. Catch every Boilermaker game on Pulse FM. Now back to Sports Yak. Well, college football, Peyton Ramsey had a good weekend for Indiana. They beat Connecticut, which is not really a surprise because UConn is a bad football program right now. So Indiana's 3-1, and one, and they'll go up and take on Michigan State this weekend on Saturday on Pulse FM. By the way, if you're a follower on Pulse FM, you're going to sit there and you're going to know, okay, you got Minnesota and Purdue and IU and Michigan State both playing at 3.30. Mm-hmm. How are you going to do this, Uncle Chuck? Well, we have this unique ability to split our frequencies here at Pulse FM, so that's what we'll do. We'll put Purdue on 92.1 and 96.9. And we'll put Indiana on 103.1. And so you can flip back and forth and pay attention to both on Saturday. What are you feeling? Let's go NFL. Let's stick with football. Okay. Uh, The Colts yesterday, fine game from Jacoby Brissett. 310 yards passing, couple of TDs. They did have an injury to T.Y. Hilton, which is a little worrisome. Uh, But they look good in a 27-24 win over the Falcons. Indianapolis now 2-1. and one. Uh, Adam Vinatieri seemed to find his rhythm. 3-for-3 three three on PATs, 2-for-2 two two on field goals. Really was a difference maker in the game. The Lions somehow are still unbeaten. <laughs> Despite a couple of key fumbles yesterday, they had a big play on special teams. Agnew had a 100-yard kickoff return. Matthew Stafford uh, was solid. And they beat Philadelphia 27-24. So the Bears roll into Monday night. Mitch Trubisky, you better find your mojo, baby, because you're going into Washington. They do not have a good secondary. And hopefully, 
Trubisky will eat the Triscuits from Nabisco and find his way against the Redskins tonight because, Corey, if the Bears win tonight, the NFC North will be the only division in professional football where all four teams have a winning record. Hmm. Did you watch any other games yesterday? I didn't watch any other games yesterday, although I can tell you Daniel Jones had a really good debut for the Giants, rallied them from an 18-point deficit uh, to beat the 49ers, and Jones threw for over 300 yards, uh, was spectacular in his first start. He actually, in one game, has more passing yards than Mitch Trubisky has in two. Uh, also, last night, the Browns, <laughs> you talk about a team that self-destructed on Sunday night football. So they're on a Sunday night game for the first time in years, years. And they come down, they've got a first and goal at the five. And here's what the NFL is right now. They run four straight passing plays. Didn't make one attempt to run the football. Then, later in the game, with the game on the line, they're looking at fourth and nine. That's when... They decide, oh, let's try a draw play. <laughs> Sad trombone. Browns lose to the Rams by a count of 20 to 13 with some highly questionable play calling. I watched uh, Seahawks and the Saints. This just in the Saints are good. Yeah. Edgewater, Rainwater, Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater. Give me a glass of water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's good stuff. All and right. And that's the backup. Yeah, he's the backup, right? Is he out for a Breeze good chunk? Breeze is out for about six weeks with a hand injury. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right, here we go. The Chicago Cubs. Oh, my goodness. For the first time since 1915, they lose five straight one-run games. Four of those losses to the Cardinals, who get their first sweep of the Cubs in a four-game set at Wrigley since 1921. And, you know, there was a movie that came out or a book that came out in the 1960s called Four Days. It was about the death of President Kennedy. They could write one called Five Days about the death of the 2019 Cubs. This started on the final game of the series on Wednesday night against the Reds when the Cubs lost in extra innings by a count of three to two. Thursday night, you may recall, they're down 4-1 in the ninth. They come back. They get three runs in the ninth. They tie it up at four. And I believe they bring in Craig Kimbrell out of the bullpen on Thursday night, and he gives up the game-winning home run to Matt Carpenter, and the Cubs lose 5-4. Well, Kimbrell wasn't done yet. He was not done ruining the weekend because on Saturday, with the Cubs up 8-7 in the eighth, Joe Madden with the season on the line, says, well, Theo Epstein went out and got me this reliever for millions of dollars. I'd better use him. So he brings in Craig Kimbrell, who gives up the game tying home run to Yadi Molina, and on the very next pitch gives up the game losing home run to Paul DeYoung. 9-8 Cardinals. Then yesterday, Joe Madden says, okay, well, you Darvish has basically thrown his arm off but I have no faith at anybody in my bullpen. So you go out there for the ninth. Don't worry. I've put in our top defensive center fielder, Albert Almora. 
and a fly ball is hit to center, which Albert breaks in on. Unfortunately, it's over his head, clangs off of his glove for a triple, and the Cardinals go on to win the game by a count of 3-2, causing you Darvish to destroy his Wrigley Field locker after the game because he's so peeved because this has happened to him time and time again this year. So now the question is, what becomes of Joe Madden? What becomes of the Cubs as you go forward to 2020? Is Joe Madden the cause of this team failing? I don't think fully that he is. Uh, Theo Epstein plays a huge role in this, but guess what? He's not going anywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of underachieving players on this team, and you're not going to be able to get rid of all of them. So unfortunately, somebody's going to probably pay for this, and that somebody is probably Joe Madden. And there's already rumors that he's going to be the new manager of the San Diego Padres, who fired their manager yesterday. There's so much to be irate about in this. I don't even know if I could... If we did the... If we did the show rant, the show within the show, Mm -hmm. I think it would just be a bunch of bleeps right now. (laughs) It really would. Because the next clutch hit that Chris Bryant gets, it'll be the first one he's had in two weeks. Rizzo's hurt, and he's out there trying to play. Javi tried to pinch on Saturday. He doesn't have anything left. The starting pitching over the month of September has just been woefully inconsistent. You got a great outing out of Darvish yesterday. Well, that's good because Jose Quintana stunk up the joint on Saturday. John Lester hasn't been getting anybody out. I mean, basically, the only other guy that you can kind of count on is Kyle Hendricks. Cole Hamels, his shoulders hurt, so he's not helping. How much of the season's actually left? Yes, it was the last home game. There are six game. games left in the season. The Cubs trail the wild card by four. So where are they where are they? Heading? So the magic number for elimination is two, two. or actually three. Okay. The magic number for elimination is three. Any combination of Brewers wins and Cubs losses that add up to three, and it's done. Well, I got news for you. It's done right now. Stick a fork in them. They're a tenderloin. Get them off the grill. Where are they heading to? Pittsburgh. That's the one piece of good news because the Pirates are awful too. Yeah. But it won't matter because if Milwaukee keeps winning, and they will. And here's the other thing. The Cubs play their final three games in St. Louis. The only good news about that is you played so horribly at Wrigley Field that the Cardinals will probably have the division locked up and they'll be too busy partying and might play a bunch of AAA players, but I'm not sure the Cubs could beat them right now. You want to shift the Tigers? <laughs> well, the Tigers won on Sunday because they had the luxury of playing the White Sox. Oh. That game was only played because Major League Baseball says you have to play 162 games, and we have these games left on the schedule. But if you're watching the Tigers or the White Sox here in the final week of the season... You are the most diehard of diehard fans. Uh, should we backpedal to high school football? We can go to high school football. It was uh, It's interesting. The new poll is out today in the coaches' poll. Class 5A, Valparaiso is second. Concord is fourth. Elkhart Central is sixth. All three of those teams are still undefeated. 
4A, New Prairie is first. What a game they had with Mishawaka on Friday night. So New Prairie wins that game by a count of 28-27. Mishawaka scored, decided to go for two with about two minutes left, try to win the game, failed on the two-point conversion. Uh, Gutsy call by Keith Kinder, their head coach. But this young man that you'll see on TV 46 Friday night for New Prairie, their quarterback, Chase Ketterer, he had four touchdowns in the game. Three of those came on runs of 50 yards or more. And on the 62-yard touchdown run, he hurdled a standing player for Mishawaka, landed on his feet, and ran into the end zone another 30 yards for the score. Here's the thing. That should have been flagged because in high school football, you cannot hurdle a player that has one or two feet on the ground. If he's laying on the ground, yes, you can hurdle him. But if he's if he's got one or two feet on the ground, okay. the rule book says you cannot hurdle him. Of course, when does an official ever see this to know the call? And I know people in Mishawaka are irate and you know, I got one guy on Twitter calling officials hacks and things like that. Well, I guarantee you he didn't know the rule before it happened. He had a great comeback for him, if I remember correctly. Yeah, become an official. Yeah. Uh, is hurdling illegal in college? No, it's not in college or the pros. It's illegal at the high school level because they figure most kids, here's here's the problem. They see guys in the colleges and pros do it. So now I'm going to try this. And most kids might not be athletic enough to pull off the maneuver and then you wind up kicking a kid in the head yes and or hurting yourself or hurting yourself mm-hmm. so it's the reason the rule is in there is for a safety issue mm-hmm. be that as it may it does not take away from the athleticism that Ketterer showed so in the second half of this game Mishawaka's whole philosophy in this game was ball control if we have the ball, then New Prairie can't score. Because New Prairie came in scoring like 48, 49 points a game. So they execute this very well. Mishawaka's trailing at halftime 14-7. They chew off the first 10 minutes of the third quarter with this just time-consuming drive that goes down the field, finally punched the ball in the end zone 14-14. New Prairie ran... 11 plays in the second half. Four of those plays were to run out the clock at the end of the game. So they really only ran seven plays that mattered, and they scored on three of them. (laughs) That's how electrifying this Ketterer kid is, and this is why you need to watch on 46. So New Prairie's number one in 4A. Plymouth is eighth in 4A. Northwood is 10th. And then in 3A, Marion, who we had on Friday night, they beat Jimtown 17-3. They've got a terrific defense. They're ranked 6th, and Knox is ranked 10th. Both Marion and Knox still undefeated. So we have six undefeated teams in our viewing area for Indiana, and we also have six for Michigan. In Michigan, I ran some numbers this morning, Corey, on the six undefeated teams. Three of them have remarkable scoring discrepancies okay brandywine is undefeated just right across the state line there on bell road they have outscored their first four opponents by a count of 214 
to 18. <laughs> 214 to 18 for Brandywine. Woo! Edwardsburg, we showed them on TV 46. They've outscored their first four opponents 202 to 15. Kasopolis has only scored 152 points in its first four games. They've given up nothing. Zero. Four straight shutouts by the Rangers. That's impressive. Oh, and St. Joseph, tip of the cap to their new coach, Andrew Prater. Uh, it was interesting. Lakeshore had beaten St. Joe eight straight times in the war on the shore. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody at the Herald Palladium asked Andrew Prater about that going into his first St. Joe Lakeshore game. He goes, I wasn't part of any of those. He goes, that, that history means nothing to me. He goes, our goal is to beat Lakeshore Friday night. And they did by a count of 22 to 14. So the Bears are now 4-0 and on the year. The other Michigan teams who are undefeated, Berrien Springs and White Pigeon. You know where Prater comes from? Uh, Somewhere else in Michigan north. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. His son is the quarterback, and uh, they've changed the offense around a little bit at St. Joe, and it seems to be working. Okay. We were almost going to go to that game, and they started this media mosquito watch. I stayed in my backyard and watched Penn and Adams. Well, that was quite the game. Mm-hmm. Kingsman scored 62, first time they've eclipsed the 60 mark since 2014. But Adams had a young man named Sidney Jeffries who scored a touchdown on offense, defense, and special teams in the same game. He's something to watch. Yeah. Well, you can watch him on 46 Friday night when they take on New Prairie. Is it New Prairie at Adams? Yes, it's at TCU School Field, so that should be interesting. TCU School Field. Now, the that, other interesting nugget that I uncovered this morning is as I was looking at strength of schedule because I was curious, okay, of those Indiana schools, which one has played the toughest schedule? Mm-hmm. The, the six schools who are undefeated. undefeated. If you go by wins and losses, you would say, oh, well, Knox. Knox's opponents are 11 and 14. But the Sagarin rating does its own strength of schedule. And they say that Knox has actually played the easiest schedule. Because those teams, even though they've won 11 games, aren't very good. So they say that of the six unbeaten teams, Elkhart Central has played the toughest schedule so far. Uh, The 95th toughest schedule in the state. You might say, well, what area team has played the toughest schedule overall? St. Joe is 0-5. They were shut out Friday night by Elkhart Central. The St. Joe Indians have played the 25th toughest schedule in the state of Indiana. They have played four teams who are still unbeaten right now, and the other one they played is 3-2. So the five teams they've played have a combined record of 23-2. Oh, and who does St. Joe get this week? Penn. Congratulations. Lovely schedule. Uh, I think that about does it, Chuckles. Now, you went out and you saw a movie that you uh, that you didn't like. No. Uh, now, you know how I feel about the movie Three Amigos. Yes. 
Would you say that Rambo Last Blood or whatever they're calling what's the name of this one? It is Last Blood. Last Blood. Uh would you put Rambo Last Blood on your scale of to where I put three amigos? Yes. <laughs> do, you re- do you remember when Rambo or when First Blood came out? That was a decent Stallone movie. Yeah. Like culturally, we were all like, Oh, that's a that's a cool new whatever. Mm-hmm. The second one, the third one, the fourth one came out. I was like, eh, okay, whatever. This one is so bad. He's a horse rancher now, and um, it was an hour 41, and it's just horrible. Horrible dialogue. He looks horrible. Like, they'd get some close-ups, and he, like, I'm pretty sure he's bald. I'm pretty sure he's lost lost the good stuff. But at the end, and I'm going to give it away to completely ruin it so you'll stay away. He has killed probably 40 or 50 guys at his ranch, and he struggles to get up to the porch of his house and sit in this rocking chair as the sun goes down, and you think, oh, last blood, because he's got quite a few holes in him, and he's bleeding pretty good, and he's having this dialogue of, I'm about America, and I want to serve my country, and blah, 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 and so he's rocking, and you think, okay, that's the end of the movie. Then all of a sudden, it shows him with a horse somewhere from his ranch because he's already gotten rid of all the other horses because he was getting ready to fight these guys right shows him kind of going around his ranch on his horse again it's like well wait a minute i thought he died in the the rocking chair oh he's rambo not so much the last blood it was horrible last drop of blood last drop i went strictly because uh it was a friend's birthday and he wanted to get together with some guys uh, what friend ruined his birthday like this? Jay Bird Aquila. Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds about right. Yeah, it does. He said it was something. <laughs> it was something. I said, how does it compare to your the evening before with uh, Odom Jr. at uh, the DeBartolo? That he loved. This, not so much. So he loved Leslie Odom Jr. Mm-hmm. Not so much Rambo First Blood. No. All right. What else popped culturally over the weekend? Anything? Mm, oh, have you ever watched Between Two Ferns? Yes. They made a movie. Oh. And it is 90 minutes of, in my opinion, laugh out loud. This is funny. It's not for the kiddos. Oh, no. There's well, my, the there's show language. never is. No. But it's um, Zach Galifianakis has to turn in 10 shows to Will Ferrell or he's done. And uh, the studio where they do Between Two Ferns has been flooded, so he's got to go on the road to get the celebrity interviews. And and it's funny, Chuck. There's The interviews themselves are just, I mean, the stuff they say to each other are so funny. And then there's a blooper reel at the end that's high quality. High quality. Oh, of them I'm, trying to work through those I'm sure. comments and just giggling and whatever. Between Two Ferns, the movie. Okay. I highly recommend for the older Yak fans. All right. All right. Good to know. Well, good. I think that just about does it. I think. I feel good. Honestly, this episode this episode had a lot of anger and ire in it, and I think that's a proper dedication to Joe Coleman. Because 1976, I was just a lad of 11 years old. We had gone out to see some relatives that I didn't even know we had out in Pennsylvania. The hook for me was I was going to get to go to Three Rivers Stadium and watch the Cubs play the Pirates in a Monday night game, a nationally televised Monday night contest. Joe Coleman 
started for the Cubs, and he absolutely stuck up the joint. Made me cry as an eleven-year-old boy because he was so bad. You were eleven. Cubs lost eight to one that night because Al Oliver had a career night. Good old number zero for the Pirates. Just kept cranking on Joe Coleman pitches. Joe Coleman, you son of a. You can always talk to us in social media, the Sports Yak on Twitter with two Ks, on Instagram with two Ks. If you want to email us, that's fine. The Sports Yak with two Ks at gmail.com. Or you can call us 574-210-7950. We did receive a tweet while the show was being taped. What? It's from our Chabby Shack. Chabby Shack says, I apologize if you lost your listener in Italy. I'm now back stateside. Can't wait to go to a high school game this weekend. Which one would you recommend at 46 Sports? And so I'm replying to him, if you like big schools, Mishawaka at Elkhart Central this week, pretty good matchup. If you like small schools, Knox at LaVille, 5-0 and Knox against 4-1 and LaVille. I didn't send him to the game we're doing because, of course, he should go home and watch it Friday night at 11 and Saturday morning at 9 on TV 46. Oh, Interesting. So there you go. All right. Thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a review. That's always very helpful to us. Until next time, sports fans. Ooga Luga, not Joe Coleman. You made me cry. You've been listening to Sports Yak, brought to you by Notre Dame Athletics. Experience the excitement of cheering the Fighting Irish onward to victory. Tickets for Notre Dame Athletic events available at und.com slash buy tickets. And by Pyramid Equipment. Think Pyramid Equipment for your snowplow needs, sales, services, and installations of residential and commercial-grade snowplows, parts, and salt spreaders. Pyramid offers military, police, and firemen's discounts. Find us, PyramidEquipmentInc.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.